Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. to revisit the mystery of the 144,000. Let's open with a word of prayer and get straight into tonight's study. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you as your servants. We just want to thank you so much, Father, for your holy word. Uh, we know that your word is alive, and we just pray, Father, that you will feed us with this truth and strengthen us with it. We thank you so much, God, for your many, many blessings most of all for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, brethren, as I mentioned, we're going into uh, chapter 14. We'll just do a little bit of a rewind and just pick up uh, where we were last week with um, chapter 13, just the end part of chapter 13. So let's just go back there, <clears throat> where we read that this beast that came up uh, from the land uh, had power to give life unto the image of the beast that came from the sea. <clears throat> so he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. That the image of the beast, this is now some wonders and some miracles here, that the image of the beast should both speak, so it can speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this time ahead of us is a treacherous time. The scripture says that the wicked men will wax worse and worse. And here they're, they're coming to their climax. This is the pinnacle of wickedness. And anybody who does not go along with them, 
that this beast, which is an image of the devil, really a proxy for the devil, that the devil should be worshipped, the devil's agenda is to be like the Most High and to have everyone worship him. Uh, so anybody who does not go along with this should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, everybody. He's very, very thorough. This is, this is Satan's last chance. He is very meticulous. He's very thorough. Everyone must come under his control and worship him. So he causes all to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And obviously here he is again trying to mimic the Most High. And the scripture goes on to say then that no man might buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then chapter 13 ends by saying, Here is wisdom. Let him that, under, that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. And his number is six hundred threescore and six. Now, this um, binding of the hand and the receiving a mark in the hand and the forehead, it, we, we really alluding back to Deuteronomy. And we see here in Deuteronomy, that the the Hebrews, the Israelites, would, would bind them for a sign upon their hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And so they were to always be mindful of God's law, and so this was a, a, an agreement that they had with God, that they would bind them upon their hand and, between, and on their forehead. And so this is what Satan is now mimicking and trying to be like the Most High. Now, the scripture says, as we saw in verse 15, that as many as would not worship the image uh, of the beast should be killed. Now we have seen this before. And if we go to Daniel 3, we'll see, we'll recall the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says, Then a, her a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations and languages so same thing satan wanting this global control and here he's trying for this global control that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet the flute the harp the sackbut the psaltery the dulcimer and all kinds of music you shall fall down and worship the golden image that nebuchadnezzar the king has set up so no doubt he set up this image similar to the dream that he had about this image where he was the head of gold and so this whole thing really represents this babylonian system and, and everybody has to fall down and worship this beast, this Babylonian beast. And who, whoever, whoso falleth not down and worships, shall the same hour, this is urgent, this is immediate, that same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Now, if you be ready, that at what time you shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and dulcimers are all kinds of music. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. And when this orchestra, this band begins playing, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made. So it's the same thing we're seeing repeated now in this final three and a half year period at the end of man's history. So if you'll fall down and worship this image, that's great. Well, but if you worship it not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall save you? He says, 
and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. And this, this is what we must learn uh, from these young, very brave young men as we go into the future. That we have to have our minds made up ahead of time. That this is not something that, once the decision, once we're confronted with the decision, we sort of start to weigh the pros and the cons and wonder, hmm, I, I wonder, you know, would God mind? And I'm sure God would understand. And we've made up our minds. We will never worship the devil, nor his image. And we will always cling to Christ. And we love him and we will worship Christ. And we're not careful to answer anybody about this. So any, any kind of confrontation that may come as a result of our walk with Christ, oh well, we've already made up our minds. As the saying goes, make the big decisions early. We've made these big, we've already made the decision. So there's no, this is a non-decision. That's what these young men are saying. Uh, there's no decision to make here. We made this decision a long time ago. So we're not careful to answer you in this matter. And so here we, here we see this whole situation repeated now in Revelation, uh, in this final period. And so he causes all, just as, as, as Nebuchadnezzar, the, Nebuchadnezzar is the head, Babylon is the head, and it's the same system. This is just now the, the feet of the same system, the same devilish way of thinking and controlling and subjugating mankind who is made in the image of God. So he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man can buy or sell unless he has this mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so for a lot of people, this is a time to compromise. Surely God wouldn't want me to go hungry. Surely God would understand. And so they're going to go ahead and receive this mark or the name or the number of the name. So all of this now is the backdrop to chapter 14. So in the context of this thorough, very meticulous, very methodical, very comprehensive uh, subjugation of mankind to the image of the beast, which is the image of the devil, we come into chapter 14. And we come now to the 144,000. And it says here, And I looked, and lo, a lamb, so, so now this is what John is seeing, he sees a lamb, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, on earth, on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their forehead. So from Psalm 2 and verse 6 we see, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And we can go into Zechariah and other prophecies, even Christ himself, in uh, Matthew, uh, it's recorded that he prophesies he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. And so here John sees this lamb standing on the Mount of Olives. But he says, with him are 144,000. And some of the commentators believe that this is another 144,000. So we already, we already encountered the 144,000 in Revelation 7. And so here at Revelation 14, some of the commentators think there's actually 288,000. But that's absolutely ridiculous. This is the same 144,000. And yes, we have encountered them before in Revelation 7. But the context for Revelation 7, for that context, we need to go just back up. And we'll go back to uh, chapter 6. 
So in Revelation chapter 6, we see, uh, we saw the opening of the seals. So we saw the different horsemen, uh, the, the rider of the white horse, uh, the deceiver. And we see this false prophet now deceiving the whole world and pointing them to the beast. The beast from the sea being this political power, really envisioned by the red horse, this, this warfare and sub forceful subjugation. So one is a force of deception, one is a force of uh, subjugation, uh, resulting then in famine and pestilence and death. Uh, and so we see all of this unfolding. And, and as a result of all of this activity of these four horsemen, the fifth seal is opened, and we see what the result of all this activity is, is a targeting of God's people. And so what we see a result here, uh, when he opened the fifth seal, John saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So they have a testimony about Christ, and they're holding on to it no matter what. And they were slain for the word of God and this testimony. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? First question in this passage is, is how much longer? And this is all symbolic. These are, this is not a real, you know, these, are, these are people are not in heaven uh, saying this. It's a vision that John has, and it's really a symbol of, of the patience of the saints. And so the response is, white robes, notice this, white robes were given unto every one of them, every single one of them received white robes. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season. So we constantly see this reference to this final time period. It's a three and a half year period and it's going to be intense. It is an intense three and a half year period as the, the, the history of this age comes to a conclusion. And so they just have to be patient as we get through this intense three and a half year period, the, the caboose on the train, so to speak. We just, they, they, they need to wait. That God, God will respond to them, but he's orchestrating something. And so they need to rest yet just for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. So we have this outstanding prophecy that the saints must be killed. And so it has started, but the full complement has not been reached. And so they have to wait until the full complement is reached. They're, they're just a part of the pro prophetic fulfillment. There's more. More saints have to be put to death. Coming back to uh, chapter 13 of Revelation, where we were last, uh, last week or the week before, it was given to him, that's this beast from the sea, to make war with the saints. This is the red horse riding, that he's to make war with the saints. So who, who's the target? The saints. And so this is why in the fifth seal, there has to be patience. This war has to unfold. It's not, this is not God has lost control. This is everything is being orchestrated according to his will. And so he's given permission. Remember that the mighty angel has one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. So everything that's happening under the sea and on the land is, is coming under the dominion of God. And so it was given, he's given permission 
to make war with the saints. And not just to make war with them, to overcome them. And this, this really means a physical overcoming. That, that they, they, he, he is going to force everyone to receive the mark of the beast. And this is going to identify who the true saints are. And who are the hypocrites? Who are the ones that you know like to be seen as righteous, like to be perceived as Christian, but you know when it comes to food and water, uh, you know when it comes to bread, they're 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 going to be led by their stomachs. And so this is a, a teasing out, a separation, uh, a measuring of the saints of God. There's going to be the inner court, and then there's the outer court. And so he's given permission to make war with the saints and to overcome us physically, not spiritually. It's up to us whether or not we hold on to, to the vine, hold on to the, 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 the root. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So we're going to see this global uh, submission to the devil through this beast power. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Everybody's going this way. The whole world is going just the same way these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their whole society was bowing down and worshiping the image of the beast. But they would not. And so in the same way, even though it, you know, at this time it's quite dire and the whole world is going after the beast and in, in wondering and just in awe of him, there are going to be saints who are going to be faithful to the end. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. So from the very foundation, this redemptive provision was made for this redemptive process. And our names are written in the book of life, praise God. And so as long as we remain true and hold on to the Lamb, and overcome the devil, overcome the devil's puppets, these beasts, with the blood of the Lamb. That's what we're going. That's how we are successful. Not by ourselves, not on our own, through our own strength, but through the blood of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. And so this is why Christ taught us when we studied Luke, and if you weren't with us for Luke, uh, you can find it in the archive. Uh, just review chapter 11 of Luke, where Christ taught us how to pray, and we look at the Lord's Prayer, which was really a model for how we should pray and what we should pray about. But he uh, concludes that lesson in, in how to pray by saying this. Uh, I'll just recall those of you who were with me for the, the Lord's Prayer. And I ask you, I'm sorry, and I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. We need to go into this uh, future period with this understanding that God is for us. And if we ask, it'll be given to us. If we seek, we'll find it. And if we knock, it'll be opened to us. For everyone that asks, receives. And he that seeks, finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. So this separation, who's in the inner court and who's in the outer court, really it's going to be up to us that if we don't respond to this calling, if we don't take this calling seriously, if we neglect this calling, we're in the outer court. But if we ask and we seek and we knock, everyone that seeks, everyone that asks, everyone that seeks, everyone that knocks, it's going to be opened, it's going to be given, it's going to be granted. And he says, for if a son 
shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So Christ uses three separate examples. He tells us to pray for three separate things, and then uses three separate examples to say, if you were a father and your child asked for bread or fish or an egg, how would, would you respond by giving him uh, evil things? We're, we're fathers. We would never do this. If you then, if I then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto our children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And this is what we have to understand as we go into this future period where the wicked wax worse and worse. We have to be asking for the Holy Spirit. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit through us that is going to get us through this period ahead if we are alive to see it or if a future date and there are saints who are maybe going into the archives and listening to this this is what we need to get through these times is the holy spirit and if we ask for the holy spirit god is going to give us give us the holy spirit and really what this is saying is he's going to give us the kingdom it might not look like it it might look like we've asked for the kingdom but instead we're getting persecution you know, we've asked for the, for the kingdom, but we're being killed. But we have to understand how God thinks. And we have to have the vision that God has. And we are absolutely being given good things. That this test of character, this, this ability to separate ourselves from the world and be counted into the inner court, this is a tremendous gift. This is a tremendous gift. And he says, you know, therefore, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. If we have eyes to see, let us see. And that's why it's so important for us to really digest the message of this book, this prophecy of Revelation, that these are good things. This, 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 the fact that the beast is given permission to make war with the saints, and not only to make war with us, but to overcome us, this is a gift from God. And, and it's going to reveal something profound in our character, and it's going to set us up for all eternity. So he goes on to say now, uh, just going back to the context of Revelation chapter 7, where the 144,000 are introduced to us for the first time. Again, getting the context for this. Continuing in chapter 6, John writes, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, so the whole world that has gone along with the devil, and received the mark of the beast, all of them, they hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. So now the Lamb is acting, and now these mighty men are terrified. And so we had one question already, which was from the saints, How much longer? And they're, they're told, hold on, more saints need to be added to the inner court. Now there's another question. This is really coming from the wicked, but it's a very powerful question, and it introduces the 144,000. 
for the great day of his wrath has come. So now with the sixth seal, we're now being ushered into the great day of his wrath. Before this, we were experiencing the wrath of the devil. Now the wrath of the lamb is coming. And they have a question. And who shall be able to stand? In, in their mind, no one can stand in front of the wrath of the lamb. And they're all running for cover. But that's the question that was asked to introduce the 144,000. And that introduction of the 144,000 in chapter 7 was uh, an inset chapter. It was a parenthetical chapter. And it was just fast forwarding. It was, it was pushing us forward into the future to say, look, there's good news. There's a great multitude that actually come through this tribulation and are successful in Christ. And then we got back into the unfolding of the seals. Well, now we're, we're coming to the fulfillment, the actual fulfillment of the 144,000 when Christ returns. So now Christ returns and he's on the earth. And it says here in chapter 14, verse 1, that John looked. Remember, he's to record what he sees and what he hears. So he's recording for us here what he sees. He looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, on the Mount Zion. So the lamb is standing, and with him, meaning also standing, are the 144,000. So the answer to the question, who shall be able to stand in the face of the wrath of the lamb? The answer is the faithful saints. It's those saints who stood for him during this intense three and a half year period, when the devil had his way, and, and, and the devil's beasts had their way. And all mankind was going after them. But there was a group of saints representing the inner court who stood like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And said, we're not careful to answer you. Do, do whatever you want. Our God can save us. And even if he chooses not to save us, that's okay with us as well. Because we are in complete submission to our great God. And we trust him. And we know that he loves us. And if we ask him for a fish, he's not going to give us a scorpion. If we ask him for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. If we ask him for an egg, he's not going to give us a, a serpent. We trust our Father. We trust our God. And so the answer to the question, who shall be able to stand? Well, here, here they are. It's the 144,000 standing with him on Mount Zion, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. So the devil's children have their Father's name written in their foreheads, but the faithful saints have their Father's name written in, in their foreheads or our foreheads if we live to, to be in this period. And so this question, though, was asked earlier about who will be able to stand. If we go to Psalms 15, verse 1, where David asked this, Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your So we see these 144,000 standing with Christ in his holy hill, dwelling with him in his holy hill. Who, who, who are they? Who, what qualified them to be able to do this? He that walks uprightly. So we're entering into a time where the whole world is going mad. You know, there's, a, there's a Greek saying that he who the God, or him who the gods would destroy, they must first make mad. <laughs> there's, some, you know, there's some devilish truth in that. That Satan is turning the whole world mad so he can destroy them. And so, in the midst of this uh, time of great evil, there are a people who walk uprightly and work righteousness. 
work righteousness and speak the truth in our heart. We will not be bullied. We will not be forced to comply. If there's truth in our heart, we will speak it. And if it makes the world unhappy, oh well, oh well. Truth is truth. We cannot apologize for truth. He speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbites not with his tongue, that is a serious, serious sin. God hates it. And if we are engaged in it, we will not be with Christ. We will be measured into the outer court. To be measured into the inner court, we must repent of a backbiting tongue. Nor does evil to his neighbor. We would never do that. We are discerning the body of Christ. And we would never do evil to our neighbor. Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. This is the, these are the characteristics that the saints are developing in order to dwell with Christ and the Father forever. In whose eyes a vile person is condemned. And we're just living in, in opposite land. We're living in the twilight zone. Vile people are exalted in our society. And the righteous are condemned. And, and we're now being, we're going to be asked, who do we agree with? What side are we on? And we have to speak the truth in our heart. And if a person is a vile, if a person is despising God's commandments, we're just going to call it. We're just going to say what's true. Oh well, truth is truth. And so the vile are condemned by God's people. But he honors them that fear the Lord. And this world is so upside down. They, they, they condemn those that fear the Lord, and they honor vile people. And so we're not going to be tracking side by side with the world. In fact, we're going to be in, in opposition to the world. Just our very presence, they will hate us, because they'll realize that they're upside down. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. I, I, I've sworn, this is what I said I'm going to do, I'm going to keep my word. Let your yeah be yeah, your nay be nay. And so if I said yes, it's yes. If I said no, it's no. Even if it, even if it hurts me, I'm not going to go against my word. Because no liars will be in the kingdom of God. He that puts not out his money to usury, nor takes reward against the innocent. And, and, and you know, this taking reward against the innocent, I don't believe it's possible to live in the future world, the, the, the beast system, without taking reward against the innocent. It's going to be a two-tier system. And it's going to uh, live off the backs of the innocent. And so if we're going to enjoy the benefits of society, it means that we're going to be taking reward against the innocent. And so we need to turn our back on this and say, no, we will not participate in such a system. He that does these things shall never be moved. And so the devil and the devil's puppets think that they are overcoming the saints. The reality is... The saints shall never be moved. The saints shall inherit the earth. And so this uh, backdrop that we saw then, the question, who shall stand? This is what uh, is answering the question, uh, or, or the answer to the question, is what we saw in chapter 7 initially and what we're seeing now in chapter 14. That there's 144,000 that are able to stand and dwell with Christ. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000. 
of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So that's what he heard. And after this I beheld, what did he see? And lo, a great multitude which no man could number. So first he sees, or sorry, first he hears 144,000 being counted out in each of the tribes. But then he sees a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So the 144,000, we've covered this before, it's a symbol. It is a, it's an auditory symbol that all the tribes are accounted for and there's 12,000 in each of the tribes to come up with 144,000. But when, when John looks, he doesn't see 12 tribes partitioned out or, or, or partitioned out and uh, you know he can count exactly uh, 12,000 in each of the tribes. He turns and he just sees a great multitude because this multitude is what the 144,000 symbol represents. And these are the ones, notice, that they stood before the throne. And this is answering the question, who shall stand before the wrath of the Lamb? Well, it's the 144,000. And this, the fact that they're coming from all nations and kindreds and people, is God fulfilling or beginning to fulfill his promise to Abraham that he will bless them that bless Abraham and curse those that curse Abraham. And in Abraham shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In the devil, and in the devil's servants, all the families of the earth are cursed. But in Abraham, through Christ, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth are blessed. And notice now, in we, we've read this before, and we'll read it again as we get to chapter 21, but we jumped ahead uh, earlier. But remember that John said that the, the New Jerusalem had a great and uh, a wall great and high, and it had 12 gates. And at the twelve gates were twelve angels, and names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. In other words, it is impossible to get into the New Jerusalem unless you come through one of the gates of Israel. So there's no such thing as Gentiles in the New Jerusalem. So this great multitude from all the different peoples and kindreds and tongues, they have to have representation in Israel. And they come into the New Jerusalem through one of the gates of Israel. So everybody belongs to one of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And then, uh, so it says on the east there's three gates, on the north there's three gates, on the south there's three gates, and on the west there's three gates. So you cannot get in unless you come in through one of the gates of Israel. But notice now, in verse 14 that the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb so we are seeing here now the 12 by 12 we've got the 12 tribes of Israel the, the, the 12 forefathers the, the, the patriarchs representing the Old Covenant and then we have the 12 apostles representing the New Covenant so this symbol is 12 by 12, God showing God's faithfulness to his covenant to Abraham, first fulfilling it in the old covenant when Israel failed, 
then giving Israel the Holy Spirit and fulfilling it in the new covenant. And so 12 by 12 is the 144. And then the thousand, if we look at Deuteronomy, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God. The 144,000 is a symbol of God's faithfulness. Old covenant faithfulness, new covenant faithfulness. He's the faithful God, which keeps covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So this really represents the, the faithfulness of God. We've got the old covenant patriarchs, 12, times the new covenant uh, apostles, 12. 144 times a thousand generations just to, to underline we exist because of God's faithfulness and these 144,000 the, the symbol of the 144,000 are those who come through the tribulation trusting in God's faithfulness and washing their robes in the blood of the Lamb so now we come back to uh, chapter 14 and so I looked and I saw this lamb that stood on the Mount Zion and with him, those who are worthy to stand with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. So this really rumbling sound, this very deep, heavy sound of power. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And behold, oh, sorry, I was just going to, this is a hearkening back to Ezekiel. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters. And the earth shined in his, with his glory. This is the same God. There is one God. There's one author of the entire Bible. And he speaks with the same voice. So when people come with their nonsensical scriptures and try and tell us that this is our God speaking, no, I'm sorry. We, we, we know a forked tongue, we know a lying tongue, we know the devil's tongue when we hear it, and we also know uh, our shepherd's tongue. We know our God's voice. And so it's the same voice through all the prophets, and the, all the prophets' voices are, are converging now into the final chapter of mankind's history, which is given with this final revelation from our God. And they sung as it were, a new song before the throne. So they were given a new song that they were singing before the throne and before the four beasts. Remember in Revelation uh, chapter 4, we saw these four, um, we called them really, uh, I said I was going to use another term, uh, living things, living creatures. And before the, the four living creatures, so we'll keep beasts for the, 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 the servants of the devil. And here there were these four living creatures and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000. So there are many men, but only the 144,000 can learn this song. So these are very, very privileged people. And I remember hearing a teaching from a false prophet saying that the 144,000, oh, these are Laodiceans, and, and you know they didn't quite make it, they didn't measure up, and so they have to suffer. And uh, meanwhile, the, the true people of God you know, they'll be in the place of safety and they won't have to suffer. And the Bible's actually saying the exact opposite. 
that these 144,000 represent people who have the highest privilege from God. God is honoring the 144,000 in a way that he's not honoring the rest of the saints. That these saints are really given special privilege. And they get to praise him with a song that no one else will learn this song except the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. They, they came from the earth. They were redeemed from the earth. And when we saw then, in chapter 7, the tribes, that of the tribe of Judah, 12,000, Reuben, 12,000, Gad, 12,000, Asher, 12,000, Nephtalin, 12,000, Manasseh, 12,000, Simeon, 12,000, Levi, 12,000, Issachar, 12,000, Zebulun, 12,000, Joseph, 12,000, Benjamin, 12,000. And it's interesting that this song, that no one can learn except them, if we actually look at the meaning of these names, maybe we get uh, an idea, a glimpse, of what this song is all about. Because if we look at the meaning of these, these names in the order that they are presented in chapter 7, we can say, Now will I praise the Lord, so these, these saints that are standing in Mount Zion with God, now will I praise the Lord. Surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. And a troop comes. Happy am I. With great wrestlings have I wrestled. And God has made me forget all my toil. The Lord has heard that I was hated. But now my husband will be joined unto me. God has given me my hire. And now will my husband dwell with me. God has taken away my reproach. And God shall add to me the son of his right hand. You know, it's almost like, as, as you, you can see, the, the choir, this great choir of 144, symbolized by 144,000 saints. It's almost like for each tribe that, that is represented, that they get to sing that part of the song that their tribe represents. And then together they all sing in harmony and, and they're just praising God in a very special way that is articulated by the tribes that they represent. Uh, our God is a great and a wonderful, wonderful God. Let's continue with the, the, the passage. He says, These are they <clears throat> which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes, these were redeemed from among men, notice this, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So we know <clears throat> that these are first fruits. They're first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. We're also told, though, that they are virgins. So they're first fruits, they're virgins, and verse 5 goes even further, and in their mouth, was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Who are these 144,000 saints? Who are they? And, and what does it mean that they are virgins? Let's, let's understand this. Let's unpack this and make sure that we do understand what the scripture is saying. So first of all, it says they're without fault. There's no guile in their mouth, and they're without fault before the throne. So who do we know? Who do you know that's without fault? Who do you know that has no guile in their mouth? 
Well, let's search the scripture. Ezekiel tells us here, uh, and first actually we'll deal with this virgin. Uh, who do you know that's a virgin? That's not defiled with women. That can be in this 144,000. Ezekiel tells us. And Ahola, that is representing Israel, played the harlot when she was mine. And she doted on her lovers, on the Assyrians, her neighbors, which were clothed with blue, captains and rulers, all of them, desirable young men, horsemen riding upon horses. Well, in the end time, do we not have horsemen riding upon horses? Do we not have the Assyrian rising up? Do we not have these powerful people that Israel again is going to decide to collude with, rather than trust her God? Thus she committed her whoredoms with them, with all them that were chosen men of Assyria, and with all on whom she doted, with all their idols she defiled herself. That's how she defiled herself. That so, so the virgin is a symbol of those who have not defiled themselves. The whole world has gone after the beast. The whole world has received its mark or its number or its name. But these are virgins. These are the ones that would not receive the, the fornication, the assembly, the collusion with the beast. They'd rather, they'd rather die. And so they die in their purity because they're not engaged in this horde, this spiritual whoredom, this spiritual adultery. And so God considers these saints that the beast has power to overcome, to make war with and overcome. Those that collude, that cooperate with the beast, these are in the outer court. Those that refuse to collude and cooperate with the beast, these are in the inner court. And these God considers spiritual virgins. So he says, Therefore I have delivered her into the hands of her lovers, into the hand of the Assyrians, upon whom she doted. So here we saw, uh, we just repeated here in 13, that he causes all, small and great, rich and poor, and free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that corrupts them. These people who receive this mark are defiled. The saints who refuse it are considered virgins. They are not defiled with this false woman. Now, in terms of the no guile in their mouth, without fault, David says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So these saints who take the blood of the Lamb and wash ourselves, we are considered clean. We are considered without fault before the throne. Then said I, this is Isaiah now, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah is beside himself that how can he live having seen the Lord with unclean lips. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, your sin purged, and your sin purged. So these 144,000, are vir spiritual virgins. The vir virgins is a symbol. And being without guile, they are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. 
These are those who have come through the tribulate, the great tribulation, and they have washed themselves in the blood of the Lamb. Back to Revelation 14. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So the virgins did not participate in this pornea, in this spiritual pornea, this spiritual fornication and adultery. But the whole world went along with it. And now, finally, God is acting. So the saints who were early in the tribulation, early when the, the horsemen started to ride, and who were uh, persecuted and slaughtered early in the timeline, they had to wait until all the saints that fulfill the full count of God's covenant faithfulness, symbolized by the 144,000, once that count is complete, then God acts. And now he brings down Babylon, saying it's fallen, it's fallen, that great city, because she had made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And this is calling back to the prophecy of Isaiah, where Isaiah writes in, in chapter 21, And behold, there comes a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen, and he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. The exact same uh, phraseology. Babylon is fallen, and then to really reinforce that, it's repeated, is fallen. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her God, he has broken unto the ground. So it's a complete collapse of Babylon. Now Babylon began with Genesis. And it, it, it exists and it continues to exist all the way through until Revelation. So in Genesis we saw the beginning of Babylon. 11.1 1, That the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, one ideology, one concept. And that's everyone's now receiving the mark of the beast. Satan finally has his way, uninterrupted now. The whole earth is, is of one language and one ideology. They're all united in their resistance to God. And so this began in Genesis. And it doesn't end until Revelation. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower. Notice the structure of Babylon from the very beginning. A political beast, a city, and a spiritual beast, a tower. So that the, the spiritual beast give, reinforces and directs everybody to the political beast. And so this is right in the foundation of Babylon, and it doesn't end until Revelation when Christ returns. So we'll go now to Jeremiah to see this prophecy against Babylon. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me. So Babylon has always been an adversary to God because it's in collusion with the devil, the adversary of God. He's going to rise up uh, and against them that dwell in the midst of them that rise up against me, a destroying wind. And will send unto Babylon fanners. So now we're seeing these just separating the shaft, the chaff from the wheat and, and we need the wind. To, to make that separation, I will send unto Babylon fanners that shall fan her and shall empty her land. For in the day of trouble shall they be against her round about. Against him that bends, let, uh, against him that bends, let the archer bend his bow. 
and against him that lifts himself up in his brigandine, or his uh, coat of mail, and spare ye not her young men, destroy you utterly all her host. And we saw this in Revelation. He that lives by the sword must die by the sword. Whatever means of violence you are uh, perpetrating, it's going to come back on you. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they that are thrust through in her streets. Notice this in verse 5 of Jeremiah 51. For Israel has not been forsaken. And this is you know Christ in Matthew 24, after condemning Jerusalem in Matthew 23, he begins in Matthew 24 saying, Let no man deceive you. We're going to believe Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. We're going to believe that God has forsaken Israel. The prophecy tells us Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God. Because of God's covenant faithfulness, that's what the 144,000 is all about. God is faithful to his covenant. The old covenant stands. They broke it. God didn't break it. And so he put in place the new covenant. And he's faithful to a thousand generations. For Israel has not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts. Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel, they broke the covenant. They were unfaithful. The God of Israel is not unfaithful. He made a promise to Abraham, and he fulfills that promise. Flee out of the midst of Babylon, and deliver every man his soul. And we'll see this in chapter 18 of Revelation, where, you know, come out from her, my people. Be not cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He will render unto her a recompense. Babylon has been a golden cup in the Lord's hand and made all the earth drunk. The nations have drunk of her wine. Therefore the nations are mad. And, uh, you know, brethren, I think we would all agree the nations are mad. We, we are just seeing madness all around the world. It's just, it's like common sense is gone. It doesn't matter what language the nations speak. It doesn't matter what their heritage, heritage is. Somehow they've all agreed together to go insane together. And the, the nations are mad. Babylon is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Suddenly they, they were just so, uh, it's like a balloon getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they think there's no end. And then suddenly it just bursts. And collapse. Babylon and these rich men and these mighty men is suddenly fallen and destroyed. Howl for her, take balm for her pain. If so, be she may be healed. And so now we're coming back to chapter 14. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. So again, make the big decisions early. We, we, we are not going to drink this wine. I'm sorry. The whole world is drunk. Everybody thinks it's a great idea to drink this wine. Sorry, we're not participating. Anybody who receives the mark on his for in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. It's undiluted. So if we start thinking like the devil, 
if we start acting like the devil, carrying out the devil's works, uh, we're going to be branded as the devil's children. And then this wrath, which is undiluted, is going to fall on us. So we've got to we've got to be that Psalm 15 character, where we're going to study those characteristics and we're going to develop those characteristics, and we're going to have God's name written on our foreheads, and His work, the work of righteousness in our hands. The same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture, into the cup of His indignation, and He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So those who decide to, to be like Sodom and Gomorrah, they're going to suffer the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're going to suffer that fate in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Their creator is going to watch this because they have brought this upon themselves. He's going to give them every opportunity to repent. The gospel will be preached all over the world. And every, no one can say, I didn't know. I didn't hear. In Psalm 75, David writes, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he pours out the same, but the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. Back to Revelation chapter 14. And the smoke, so again, we're just seeing how in, in, in this uh, book of Revelation, all these prophecies... Uh, they, they echo the previous voices of the prophets. And, and all these outstanding prophecies of the prophets converge into Revelation. There's one God. And we're not going to accept any false doctrine, false scriptures. Revelation 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image. And whosoever receives the mark of his name. And I just want to comment on this forever and ever. Because people will think, oh, they're going to be burning in hell forever and ever. And we understand and know that that's just not the case. <clears throat> I think that uh, there may be some... Uh, th th this study, really, is designed specifically for God's people. Uh, but we may have people listening in who are not... They do not have the Holy Spirit. They're interested in what does the Bible say. But this... I, I wouldn't recommend the study of Revelation for somebody who doesn't know the gospel. I would recommend Luke and Acts. Uh, understand the gospel first. Understand what, what this path is all about. And this now is for people who've made the commitment, uh, who then God is saying he wants us to understand what lies ahead. Uh, just so that we understand the magnitude of the commitment that we've made and we don't go back on it. And that we really look forward with eagerness to what lies ahead. But in case there are some people here uh, who don't know, uh, don't understand that the true doctrines of the Bible and that people are not burning in hell forever and ever, this, this phraseology, uh, the Bible cannot contradict itself. In Romans 6.23, we know that the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's, there's not that you can have eternal life. You're, you're wicked and you're sinful. But you can have eternal life in hell. The Bible says very clear, if, you're, if you are a sinner, you die. The second death has power over you, and you're gone. Those who are righteous are the ones that live forever. So this language of you know uh, torment forever and ever, if we look at Jeremiah and Ezekiel as an example, and there are multiple examples we can draw on, in Jeremiah 17, 27, it says, But if you will not hearken unto me, 
to hallow the Sabbath day, so speaking to Judah, and not to bear a burden, even entering into the gates, in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in the gates thereof, a fire in Jerusalem, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. So this sort of language, does this mean that there's going to be a fire burning in Jerusalem and burning the palaces of Jerusalem forever and ever and ever? No, it's just, it's just a Hebraic language that just means that this, once this punishment is complete, the, the, the result of the punishment is forever. You know, those who go out of, exi go out of existence, they go out of existence forever. They're, they're never coming back. And in Ezekiel, verse 47 of chapter 20, And say to the forest of the south, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will kindle a fire in you, and it shall devour every green tree in you, and every dry tree. The, the flaming flame shall not be quenched, and all the faces from the south to the north shall be burned therein. So again, does this mean that this fire is burning forever and the, the New Jerusalem comes down and this is still on the earth? So it's the result of the punishment that is forever. It's not that people are going to be living forever when the Bible clearly says the wages of sin is death. And so if there is anybody out there listening and interested, doesn't quite understand uh, the, the Church of God's position on hell uh, and even heaven, I would say, uh, please feel free to write to us, info at cgi.org or info at cgicanada.org, either of those, and we'll get some information to you. Continuing then in, in chapter 14, he says, Here is the patience of the saints. So here is why the saints can get through this, that we understand he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. We understand that Babylon is going to be destroyed. And so let them have their day. Let them have their three and a half years. And we just have to be patient as this beast power is given permission to make war with the saints and to overcome us. And yet we will be patient because we, we, that's why the, the prophecy under, begins with this apocalyptic vision being given to John so that he can give it to us so that we can understand the whole picture. And we will not become overly anxious. We will trust in the Lord. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So we're persecuted for our testimony, we're persecuted for the word of God, but we're patient. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Notice that, brethren. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. It's the opposite of what so many false teachers are saying, that if you're caught, in this period of the three and a half, final three and a half years, you're cursed. The Bible's actually saying the opposite. That if you are of the saints of God, and you're in this final period of three and a half years, and you die in the Lord, you are blessed. You are blessed. May God grant that we be among the saints that live in this final three and a half year period, and hold to the testimony of Christ. We will be blessed forever and ever and ever. So blessed are the dead, which die in the... You know, we have such an opposite view. Everyone's afraid of death. Blessed are the dead, which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yes, says the Spirit. Yeah, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. They are going to be rewarded. They've been working righteousness, 
and they've died in the process of working this righteousness. And if we are among these saints, we are blessed. In Psalm, David says, Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So don't let anybody in any way minimize any saints who are faithful to Christ to the end and die. It doesn't matter how they die. Let's not get caught and say, oh, look at that terrible death. He must have done something wrong. No, the death of the saints is precious. Precious is in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So, so those of us, if we are so fortunate, we don't know when this will come to pass, but if we are fortunate enough to live in this period, we want to die faithful to Christ because these saints that die in this period are special to Christ. And in Romans 14, for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. So this is the sort of thinking that we have to strengthen ourselves with. We're the Lord's. We've been purchased with a price. And whether we live, we live for the Lord. And whether we die, we die for the Lord. And so we're just in God's hands. Not a hair can fall from our head without God's permission. And again, we don't know if, if this is speaking of us, that we will be the ones who will live through this period, or if it just grinds slowly and it's decades uh, out into the future, and hopefully these archives will be available and people will be building on this understanding and we'll be getting more and more understanding. But it doesn't matter how much we come to understand, one thing we do know, God is faithful to his covenant. And if we just obey him, love him, fulfill the words of this prophecy, keep the words of this prophecy, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. And so let's, let's really buckle down and, and, and do what we need to do. And if we die, we, we, pass over the, we pass on this understanding, we pass the baton onto the next generation. But somebody's going to live through this three and a half year period and they are blessed. Whoever, these saints that get to live through this period and die for Christ in this period, they're blessed for eternity. And I look to verse 14, and behold, a white cloud. So now he sees this, this white cloud. I looked and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And so this is again tied into the prophecies that were seen by the prophets before. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, same God, and came to the ancient days, and they brought him near before him. So this is the time now for the kingdom to be ushered in. And another angel came out of the temple, verse 15, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe so we're talking now about the first fruits and there's this special set of first fruits labeled the 144,000 but then there's all the set the first fruits that have been de uh, developed through time and they're we're all going to be harvested at Christ's return but it's not just us that are harvested the whole earth is harvested everybody at this time has to make a decision are they for Christ or against him because now the fruit is ripe. So he says, thrust in your sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the throne. 
thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. So the Father is giving this message to Christ. The harvest of the earth is ripe. Everybody now is in their camp. Those who are for the devil are for the devil, and those who are for Christ are for Christ. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth. Again, this is all symbolic language. And the earth was reaped. And Jeremiah says, I will render unto Babylon and all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight, says the Lord. Behold, I'm against you, O destroying mountain, says the Lord, which destroys all the earth. And I will stretch out my hand upon you and roll you down from the rocks and make you a burnt mountain. And so the daughter of Babylon is like a threshing floor. It's time to thresh her. Yet a little while, and the time of her harvest shall come. So again, it's the same God, it's the same voice. All these outstanding prophets, prophecies are now being fulfilled. Verse 17, And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So there is a first fruits harvest, but that's not this. This is another harvest. This is this is a uh, this is the harvest of wicked men. He says, another angel came out of the altar, having power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And again, Joel, just the same prophet, same, same voice. Uh, Joel says, Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And so there's this uh, sense of the, the, the wine press. Uh, the grapes have to be put into the wine press, and there's this overflowing of the grape juice or the blood in, in, in this case. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So this winepress, all mankind that's wicked is going to be gathered and put in this winepress representing the wrath of God. And Isaiah says, Who is he that comes from Edom or Turkey and with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Therefore, are you red in your apparel and your garments like him that treads in the wine fat? I have trodden the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger. So God is coming to save, he's mighty to save. I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my remnants. So we know that he's coming with this blood, blood-stained garments. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed is come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore my own arm brought salvation to me, and my fury it upheld me. And I will tread down the people in my anger, and I will make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. And so there was none to save except the one that is mighty, mighty to save. 
He's the only one that can punish the wicked and redeem the righteous. And that's why we saw in chapter 5 of Revelation that there was none worthy to open this book and to unfold these seals except the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's the one that can punish and he's the one that can redeem. And so we see now here in chapter 20, as we finish chapter 14, and the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress. So instead of those being grapes that are being, these are now human beings being punished by the wrath of God. And blood came out of the winepress, even unto the horses' bridles. There's just so many wicked men. By the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs, it's even up to the horses' bridles. Again, all symbolic language. And we'll just conclude now in chapter 15. Uh, continuing because this is all about the 144,000 or those saints that are symbolized by the 144,000 and I saw another sign in heaven great and marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues for in them is filled up the wrath of God and I saw as it were a sea of glass mingled with fire and them that had gotten victory over the beast so in this three and a half year period the beast unleashes Satan's power. And, and all the power of the devil is given to the beast of the sea and the beast of the land. But this political beast is, is unleashing all of its fury and it's making war with the saints to overcome the saints. But the saints are overcoming the beast. And now this beautiful vision that John sees, I saw them that had gotten the victory over the beast, the same way that Christ got the victory over Satan. Here in this final chapter of mankind's history, the saints get the victory over the beast because of their love for God and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. So those three things that we needed to buy and sell, we refused it and we were put to death. But in the way that we died, in the faithfulness that we died, we got victory over the beast and we were able to stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb. So they're singing, they had a new song earlier that only they could sing, and now they're also singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, you King of Saints. He's the King of Saints. And there's a rejoicing now in this King of the Saints, even though this is in the midst of the wicked being punished, they've gone with the devil, and these saints are now resurrected and rejoicing before God. And Moses, when, when the, the children of Israel sang unto the Lord, they said that he triumphed gloriously. And this is the patience of the saints, that we understand he's going to triumph gloriously. And Pharaoh and his rider, the devil, they're thrown into the sea. Now, the Lord is my strength and my song, and he's also become my salvation. He's my God, and I will prepare him a habitation. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So this is, this is the patience of the saints. We understand God, and we understand he's going to act. So I just want to end, as we talk about this 144,000, a very special group of saints. Uh, 144,000 is a symbol of God's covenant faithfulness, which needs to be understood in order to live through, and I'll say die through, this final three and a half year period, which is going to be vicious. The devil is unleashing everything he's got. But those saints who are faithful in this period are counted into 
this 144,000 group. And they are given special privilege, special status. And that should not surprise us, because we've known all the way from 1 Thessalonians 4.16 that the Lord himself shall, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So God, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints. And these particular saints who had to die through this particular period, they're just going to be exalted and given special privilege and special status and the ability to praise God with special music that no one else is given this privilege. So this is what encourages us that no matter how bad it gets, we can trust God. And so we'll conclude in chapter 15 and verse 4. Who shall not fear you? So these are the saints that, having come through all of this, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you only, you only are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments are made obvious. This is the God we serve. And the whole world is going mad. The whole world is running after the devil. We're standing firm. We understand who we serve. The Lord is a man of war. He that lives by the sword will die by the sword. This is the patience of the saints. And may God grant that should we live into this final chapter of mankind's history, that we be among those saints that understand that we cannot but fear God. We cannot but serve Him. We cannot but praise Him. And so we will hold on to our testimony. We'll keep the commandments of God. And we will praise Jesus Christ forever and ever. God bless.